In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today's Old Testament reading from Isaiah may sound slightly familiar to some of you, especially if you were here on the third Sunday in Advent. On that Sunday, we heard about, we heard basically chapter 61, we heard about Jesus as the anointed servant Messiah, the one who has been uniquely commissioned by God to bring the good news to bear in the lives of those who are broken by the circumstances of life, those who are bound by their own sins. We heard how Jesus would come and has come to give poor, miserable sinners a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. For this is the will of the promise-keeping God who will not rob his people of what he has sworn. He has said, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And God does not lie. And this reality is not some abstraction. It's not wishful thinking. This truth is not only for the remnant of Judah who would be called out of exile and gathered back to Jerusalem. The promise that Jesus, the servant Messiah, has come to enact on behalf of the poor, miserable sinners is for you. It's for you who have been redeemed and purchased from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver but with the holy precious blood of the anointed servant Messiah and with his innocent suffering and death. Because Jesus has taken on your flesh in the incarnation and has died for you, you have become Zion, the place where God dwells. You've been given new clothes. Through Jesus' work, you have a new Identity, something that is trustworthy and sure because it's not anchored in you or in your works, but in his. These are the gifts of your God. And in fact, you receive all these gifts continuously and abundantly. You receive them in the waters of holy baptism. You receive them today when you attend to the Lord's word through preaching and reading You receive them whenever you hear the spoken word of the absolution. You receive them whenever you eat and drink the Lord's body and blood. All gifts which manifest his unbroken promises to you. You bring your tears. You bring your sadness and mourning. You bring your brokenness over your own sins. And the Lord Jesus brings you this in return. Forgiveness, life, and salvation. And through these, he continues to work in your life to bring you and I into glad and joyful submission to his word and his will for our lives. And that's what today's passage is about. It's about the response of Zion to the clothing of salvation. It's about your response to the new identity that you have in Christ. So how do we who have been incorporated into the promises of Israel, how do we who have now been clothed in the righteousness of Christ respond? 
Imagine a widow who is dressed for a funeral. There in the casket lies the love of her life. She mourns. She weeps. She's confronted with what she has lost. She's confronted with this harsh reality that she might have many more years ahead of her yet without the company of her beloved. And then, someone taps her on the shoulder. And when she turns around, a new image comes into focus. Her beloved is no longer in the casket, but is standing upright, looking as young and handsome as the day that they had met. And he asks her, are you ready for our big day? And taken aback by this sudden change, she looks down at herself and she realizes that she too has changed. Her clothing has changed. She is young again. Her clothing, what was once clothing of mourning, the black of a funeral, has now been transformed into the white of a wedding gown. That's the image we have in verse 10 of Isaiah 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Notice the mechanics of this response. This is Zion speaking. And when I say Zion, that's just a shorthand way of saying all God's people. Zion does not look down at her clothing and say, look how awesome I am. Zion does not look at herself and say, oh, I totally deserve this. Rather, she makes her boast in God. I will, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. So Zion's response is not to boast in, in some quality within herself, but it's to direct all the attention to something outside of herself. The promise-keeping God in whom is her salvation. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed, but we live in a rather boastful world. We live in a world that shouts. Social media has given everyone a megaphone. Have you noticed that? And what do we shout about? Whatever we think makes us righteous. That's what we shout about. We shout about our successes because we crave the approval of others. We crave the approval of our neighbors because in our minds, their approval justifies us. We shout about our failures in hopes of having someone tell us that's not who you really are so that we can take the edge off the cold truth. We align ourselves with popular political causes. Not because we think that this is what's best for the world and best for our neighbors, because, but because we crave the approval of others. That approval that comes with having the right opinion. 
And so we demonize our ideological enemies. We shatter their reputations with slander in hopes of wringing out every last drop of righteousness. It gets even darker than that. Our sins have made us professionals in the art of self-justification. We live in a culture where a, a slogan recently became popular, right? Shout your abortion. So women shamelessly post about how many times they've taken the lives of their own unborn children. Men shout about their own sexual deviancy. They shout about their own use of drugs and pornography. And they truly believe that these things make them masculine, human. You know, topics that used to be taboo and, and unspeakable have now become reason for boasting. And why? It's the effect of sin. When God tempted Eve in the garden, his first move was to get her to look away from God's word. And what was the natural result? Humans became navel gazers. It's only natural. Whenever you turn away from the one thing that declares and makes you righteous, God's word, the only other option that you have is to look at yourself. And once you turn inward to find whether you are righteous, you will find one of two things. You will find good works that don't avail for anything before God, or you will find your sins, which only merit his wrath. And so we foolishly boast in one or the other. For those who boast in good works, the Bible says, you who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For those who boast in their own sins, the Bible says that they are filled with all manner of unrighteousness and stand condemned as haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of all kinds of evil. But God reaches into this world through his son to tell us that he has all the righteousness that we need. There is no need to shout about our own works. There is no need to shout about our own sins because Christ has fulfilled all righteousness through his own works and he has paid for all of our sins and our failure to be truly righteous. And through Jesus, this righteousness that we need has sprouted up before the nations, as we read in verse 11 of Isaiah 61. And all are invited to come and partake without payment. Jew, Gentile, it matters not. This is what we hear in the Epiphany narrative in Matthew chapter 2, right? Whenever the wise men from the east come to visit the Christ child. They were coming to acknowledge him as Lord of all so that they too might be clothed in the garments of his salvation. They were precursors to us Gentiles, once strangers to the promise, but those who have now been made heirs, those who have become Zion, 
We hear in our epistle reading today, Jesus was born under the law to redeem we who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The Son of God, brothers and sisters, the servant Messiah, the Lord of all, has set you free. And therefore, you are free indeed. Free to do what? Shout about your works? No. Jesus's are better. Shout about your sins? No. His blood has taken them away. Shout your salvation. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, says St. Paul in 1 Corinthians. Now for his part, Isaiah the prophet did not see any reason not to get loud about the whole thing. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as a brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. When the devil screams to high heaven that you are condemned because of your sins, you can scream right back, I am baptized. I've been clothed in the righteousness and the perfection of Christ, the eternal Son of God. And through him, I've been made a son, a daughter. When your sinful flesh growls at you and rumbles like an empty stomach begging you to satisfy it, you can growl right back. I'm dead to you to the waters of my baptism. I'm not bound to you anymore, but to the Son who has taken on my flesh, the Son who has suffered and died so that I would be set free of you and called by a new name. And when the world shouts at you through its megaphone, and when the world entices you to play along with its endless game of navel-gazing, you can say right back, I have something better. I need not look at my own works, nor trust in them. I need not bask in the filth of my own sins, nor do I need to normalize them in the eyes of the public. I have the certainty of Christ's finished work on the cross, which has been granted to me as a gift by the word of the gospel. Christ became what I am, so that I might partake of what he is. And in so doing, we get to call our fellow sinners away from trusting in their own works and from reveling in their own sins. We get to call them away from the futility of justifying themselves because Jesus came to provide all the supply of righteousness that you and I need and that they need. And you get to give it to them. Through his word. And here's the thing. You have the megaphone. I'm not talking about your social media account. I'm not talking about a literal megaphone so that you can go post up on the corner of uh, Knight's Way and um, whatever that cross street is and that you can shout this stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's your megaphone. It's wherever God has you right now in your life. Whatever stations you occupy, 
That's where God has placed you so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not God's people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's where he has you, so that you may remember that you were once that widow at the funeral, mourning what was lost to you. But now, you've been brought to a wedding. Even now, amid this sin-filled and broken world that insists on shouting against its creator, a new sound has broken forth. It's the sound of dancing. It's the sound of feasting. It's the sound of wedding bells. Surely the bride would tell everybody that she knows. Surely it would bring some change in her life, would it not? Surely she would get pretty loud about it. God grant it to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.